Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There'd be a lot of poop in my hands. I've <laughs> <laughs> seen a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural. Lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big. Mm. Abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the Season four energy. We are here. Season four. We made it. I am the great and powerful Mr. E. No, let me redo that. I am the great and powerful season four Mr. E. Season four. You're well seasoned. Mm. I'm the infamous J. The, the OG, the one and only. Ooh. Your pal, your friend, our friend. I doubt that. One legend says. What? That a man named Bunyip broke the rainbow serpent's greatest law by eating his own totem animal. Banished to the spirits of Benabi, the man became an evil spirit that lured tribesmen and their livestock into the water so he could eat them. But we'll come back to that in a bit. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> kind of threw me off my <laughs> everything. Uh, no, rainbow serpents. Rainbow serpents, the aboriginal legend, the Austra- Australian legend. Not that Australian, Aboriginal Australia. Yeah. But let's do, we have a lot of front of house stuff because it's season four. All right, let's knock it out real fast. I'm going to do real it. fast. YouTube, get on the YouTube. Get on it quick. Yep, we got our documentaries coming out very, very soon. Very, very soon. soon. Like literally two weeks. So, so get ready for the premiere party. So YouTube, join our YouTube page. Yep, Cribs of the Corn at like, YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, share, subscribe, like, ring that bell. Paranormality Magazine, we're affiliates. Use the, corn, or use the code Corn Crew to get a, so we get some kickback from it. Good magazine. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some articles in it next month. Paranormality. Corn uh, crew. Code, code word. Yep. Voicemail. We now are accepting voicemails for the Wednesday stories. And Listener submissions. Yes. Listener submissions. It's speakerpipe.com, but the link will be below. Uh, leave us voicemails. We already got some, so please do it. We have a P.O. box. It's. Do you want to do the address? Oh, it's uh, P.O. box number 75. Uh, in Ada, Ohio, 45810, also in the link below. Yes, uh, the P.O. Box. Is there anything you want to send us postcards? you want to send us uh, fan art? Fan art. Yeah, we actually got awesome fan art We've last got a week. Lot. We got a lot of cool stuff. Anything like that, yeah. We have the merch website. 
uh, all kinds of cool stuff. There should be some new T-shirt designs down there. There'll always be kind of some new stuff floating around. Uh, that's below as well. Conferences this month. Uh, next week is the Hocking Hills Bigfoot uh, Festival, the outdoor festival. We're going to be there. It's going to be so much fun. At the end of August? Yep, uh, in, Squonk- ha- in Logan, Ohio. Oh, oh yeah. sorry. No, oh, sorry. That was at the beginning of and August. And the end of August is Squonkapalooza in Johnstown. It's Jamestown. No. Yes. Jamestown? Yes. Yes. Jamestown. I don't think it is. Oh, why do we do this every time? I think it's Johnstown. <laughs> Anyways, it's in. It, the link will be below. It's in Pennsylvania. We are speakers. It's going to be so much fun. They're doing so much extra stuff. It's a free event. Come out. Hang out. We're going to have a ball. Oh, you're right. It is Johnstown. I thought so. I'm the moron. Johnstown. Central Park, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Come one. Come all. It will actually be... It's going to be really, really fun. It's going to be if, a if ball. You, if you can make it to this, come. it will be an absolute blast. Bring the family. Like It'll be amazing. It's Yeah, it's a good family event. Yeah, we're... we're very much looking forward to it. If you haven't listened to our episode, our interview with Joe, um, where the promoter putting on, putting on this event, or one half of them, uh, it's just going to be a blast. So check that out. Come have fun with us. And then Freudian Airwaves. Uh, that's our event we're helping put on. It's here in Ada, Ohio. It's going to be a whole weekend event. It's going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, panels. It's a three-day event. So there's panels on Friday. Where there's speakers and shopping and panels on Saturday and a pancake dinner. At the Ada Bowling Alley. Breakfast. The breakfast. What'd yeah. I say? Dinner. Oh, pancake breakfast. Ada Bowling Alley on Sunday before you guys leave. And for our listeners, I think we're going to try to hold you back after the breakfast. We're going to let the Bowling Alley clear out, and we're going to hold you guys back, and we think we're going to let you guys see a premiere documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you guys get to see one in person. So that's 40 in Airwaves. Uh, Tickets below. Live podcasting Super event extravaganza. That's a uncomfortable kill the mockingbirds. Us, us. Appalachian uh, intelligence. The bump and hollow skies. And hollow skies. So is that everything? I think uh, so. Now it's if you're coming to a show, let us know. Uh, I know some people have already reached out about hockey and squonk, but please, I try to learn faces. I try to learn names as well, but it's easier to be like, hey, I, I know you. You know, it's oh, from yeah. the face. So let us know you're coming. Uh, you're trying to contact us for either. Uh, supporting the show or running an ad or whatever, email is the best way, and that's Crypt of the Corn Podcast at gmail.com. All right. New reviews. So we've had our season break. Okay, new reviews. Let's knock these out real fast. Uh, I'm going to try, but there's a lot of them. Oh, should we save? Let's do some now, now and do some at I the already end. did. What? Oh, so some now, some at the end? Yeah. Okay. Because the next week's episode has all... So I did all the Apple reviews on this one, okay. and next week's has all the Spotify. Okay. Uh, just to kind of break yeah. them up since there's so many. That way it's, we get through this so we can get to the episode. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. BCA or BCA Vellus. Okay. BCA Vellus. I'm hooked on the powerful mystery and J clone. It took a worm. Yep. A worm episode to get me hooked on these two guys sharing their love of cryptids, paranormal, and the unexplained. Totally worth a listen because you never know where Justin will lead you. And Jay's positive with and with Jay's positive vibes, anything can happen. Ooh, positive vibes. All right. Mm-hmm. Squatting dog nine oh seven. Well played. I wanted to dole out a five star review that this show deserves at my convenience, but it does nothing for the algorithm, and I've decided to give it all to you at once with great inconvenience to myself. The work <laughs> you guys do is so impressive, and the level of sacrifice and. Uh, sec- level of scientific security 
and research that makes it even better. So please keep putting out those banger episodes. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. And the last one, till or I'll read the last three at the end, but I got one more. Oh, we can. You know what? Let's just knock them all out. All right. Let's just knock Gara them out. Bird, one. Gria Bird? Gria Bird? Is this Ralph? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, uh, the title is absolutely amazing. Uh, I found the show browsing for new crypto podcasts and stumbled upon this treasure trove. This podcast is amazing, bringing all this great scientific aspects. I loved, would I would love to hear more about Native American cryptids, 100 out of 10. Oh, I, I like that. We'll have to do more. There's a lot yes. of Native Americans. So here's my thing, and you'll hear it on this episode, Yeah, is that with Native legends of any culture, I hate doing them if I can't find good sources. Right. Because mm. it's, it's not mm. just folklore. It's, you know, it's sometimes it's part of religion and stuff right, like yeah. that. We may have a local source. I'll have to inquire. Yeah, I, it just depends on which legends. Right, exactly. And that's, so that's kind of my big step back with a lot of the native folklores of people is because I want to do them respect. But and it's very hard to find some of it. Right. And so yeah, I don't. Yeah. I just don't do it because if I can't find a good source. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Uh, Matt Alaska. His title is I'm Loving It. Or Loving It. I'm Loving It. Found out about this podcast when I met these guys at Monster Fest, and I've been listening ever since. Great guys, great podcast. Oh, and congratulations on the new baby! Well, thank thank you, you, Matt. Paul Milk. I wonder who this could be. Oh, hey, Paul. Uh, he says, "Hey, best friends, the greatest podcast in the whole wide world." Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. You are best, fr- our best friends. One of our best friends. <laughs> Cody Webb, thirty-two. Great podcast. Great podcast. Love the animal facts in the episodes. Oh, nice. Okay. So thank you. All yeah, right. Thank you. Now, I'm going to rip through the Patreon members, but once again, we have Patreon. We're now doing two nights a month for our 5 and $10 tier Patreon members, where they get a game night or a movie night. Kind of, it's either or on that one. And then the other night is a structured discussion. Right. Uh, and then me and Jay both drank at every one of those. So if you are not on our Patreon and want to, I mean, just come at least Links give it below. a preview. Yeah. Try it out. Try it's it out. If fun. you like it, stick around. All right. Ready for our new Patreon members? Yes. Brandon Turman. Welcome, Brandon. Welcome, Brandon. Bought the first lunchbox. What? Yes. Remember? We yes. did this last week. That's right. Yeah. Uh, last week, as I'm recording this, this is two weeks ago as of when this comes out. Lear. Lear. Welcome, Lear. Welcome, Lear. Lear is like posting, commenting on everything. He always has. Okay. He nice. or she always has. I'm not actually sure. Uh, Cody Webb. Welcome, Welcome Cody. Cody. Welcome to the corn colt. Okay. The first name's Lindsay. Now I'm going to try to pronounce. Your last name, let's see. Gardolf? Gardolf. Okay. Looks like Gardolphin, but without the if in. Okay. Gardolf. Like Dolph Lundgren. Oh, Dolph, no. Now, now. Welcome, Lindsay. It's Dolphin Man. Oh, His last name's like Finman. Oh, okay. So it's like, how was your name? Anyways. Anyways, welcome, Lindsay. Welcome to the Corn Cult. Uh, My last one for this round is T Hill 99. Thank you, T. Hill. Thank you. So All right. Are we ready to get into it? Yeah. So once again, uh, we're going so season four. This is season four. Let's go. It's gonna be the bunyip. The classic bunyip. The bunyip. So the bunyip sounds like a disease, uh, like like a like a thing you get on your foot. That's a bunion. I know, but I'm just saying, like <laughs> bunyip. I know. I got, right? My bunyips are acting up. I've said that before. Uh, but uh, before we get into this, I want to say, any of our Australian listeners, I know we have a bunch, if you have Aborigine links to the actual stories of Bunyips beyond what I have in this episode, 
please send them to my way. We'll do a whole extra episode about the Aboriginal side of the Bunyip legends in more detail. Uh, I have no good sources. I couldn't find anything. I think it's all about the search engines and stuff like that because it's just nothing besides like two paragraphs. And I'm like, there's tons and tons and tons of cultural importance that the Bunyip has. You didn't get on the Aboriginal servers? I couldn't find them. Okay. They're hiding from me. I don't blame them. All right, you ready for the Bunyip? Yeah. The Bunyip is a creature from the Aboriginal mythology of southeastern Australia. It is said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, river bends, and watering holes. Mm. Do you want to know what a billabong is? I, I, isn't that where uh, water like recedes and it leaves like a pool? Isn't that like a little pool beside a river? Yeah. Yeah, I think you got it. Okay. It's uh, here in the U.S. we call them Oxbow Lakes. Oh, it's the same thing as an Oxbow Lake? Not yes. Yes and no. Pretty yeah. similar. Yes. Okay. And that's the easiest way. If anybody here in the U.S. knows an Oxbow Lake is, then yes. So a billabong is a body of water that's right next to a river, like Jay said, or a swamp, a river, anything like that. Yeah. That has seasonal flow into it. Mm. So it means during like high rainy season, water gets put in, new fish get put in, all this stuff. Yeah. But the rest of the year, it's unconnected. Gotcha. Uh, and like here, Oxbow Lakes are very important in the U.S. for a lot of our fish species and stuff like that. But they're also very important for Australia as well. Mm. Uh, but billabongs are very, very dangerous places. Uh, cause it's said to be the home or the bunyip. The bunyip lives in billabongs. Yeah. Okay. Not just the bunyip. There's a lot of stuff in Australia that lives in billabongs you shouldn't mess with. Oh, okay. But it's just he's just one of them. He's one of them. All right. So we're gonna talk about the name. The origin of the word bunyip can be traced back to the Wabba Wabba. Okay. The Wemba Wemba. Does that sound better? Sounds more... Uh, Australian? Aboriginal. Wemba Wemba. Wemba Wemba? I'm not Wombo? sure. Now, I'm not, I can't pronounce our Native American language, <laughs> let alone a whole other continent that has some of the oldest language on the planet. Uh, I'm going to try, though. You're going to hear me mispronounce. I'm going to go Wemba Wemba. Okay. Uh... Or the Wiragani language of the Aboriginal people of Victoria in southeastern Australia. The word bunyip is usually translated by Aboriginal Australians today as devil or evil spirit. The contemporary translation may not accurately represent in this role the bunyip in its pre-contact Aboriginal mythology. As in, basically, the word may have changed after white people got to Australia. Ah, okay. Uh, or its possible origins before written accounts were made. Some modern sources allude that the logistics or the the linguistic connection between the Bunyip and the Bunjalari, the Bunjalari is a mythic giant man who made the mountains, rivers, men, and all animals. Mm. Uh, the word Bunyipi first appeared in the Sydney Gazette in 1812, and it was used by James Ivis to describe a large black animal like a seal with a terrible voice which, cre which creates terror among the banks. Interesting. Okay. A seal. Yeah. There's a little bit of... We're going to get into a little bit of racism with the bunyip, too. Okay. Just so everybody knows. Oh, okay. There's so warning. Yeah, this, there's warning. Uh, the Aboriginals are just like any Native people. We're probably not treated the best for a long time. No, I'm sure. I'm They're sure still, they still probably aren't. not treated yeah, the best. at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so distribution. Uh, the bunyip is a part of, uh, like I said, traditional Aboriginal beliefs and stories throughout Australia. While its name varies according to tribal uh, nomenclature, in a book to, or in, a, in, a, uh, in his book, two thousand one, uh, 
written by Robert Holden, identifies at least nine regional variants of the creature known as the Bunyip across Aboriginal territories. So this is going to be, I guess, for North America, our closest thing would be a Wendigo. Oh, okay. So it's more in line with that than it is. Like- as in far as the, it's the word, the creature carries a gigantic territory, but each individual tribe is using that word for a different, slightly different creature. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of variation, which we'll talk about, between what X's tribe Bunyip looks like versus another Bunyip versus another Bunyip. But perhaps phenotypes, right? We'll get there. <laughs> I'm trying to do the Aboriginal stuff first. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right, so the Bunyip, so we're going to talk about what it kind of looks like. And this is a hard one. Just describe, just like draw someone on the wall, and that probably is, looks like somebody's version of a bunny. Bunny up, yeah. The bunny was described as an amphibious or almost entirely aquatic creature. There are no reports of the creature ever being sighted on land fully. It inhabits lakes, rivers, swamps, lagoons, billabongs, creeks, water holes, and sometimes particular water holes in the river bends. Physical descriptions of the bunny uh, vary wildly. George French Augustus may have collected the descriptions of the bunny of his accounts of the water spirit. Of the Morundi, Morundi people of the Murray River, before 1847, stating that much dreaded by then, its inhabitants the Murray or it inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulties describing it. It's the most unusual form. It is said to be that of an enormous starfish. Oh, okay. The Cesarium, the Cesarium Bunyip, is an outlined image of the Bunyip carved by Aboriginal people on the banks of the Fiery Creek near Ultra Victoria. The first reported Australian news, or the first recorded by the Australian newspaper. That's literally the name of it, the Australian. Oh, okay. Uh, in, ni- in 1851, according to these reports, the bunny was speared after killing an Aboriginal man. Antiquity- antiquitarian? Have you ever heard that word? Antiquarian? Like antique? Yeah, antiquarian, I think is what okay. the word. Sure. Uh, Rayleigh Jones claimed that until the mid-1850s, Aboriginal people made a habit of visiting the places annually and reenacting the outline of the figure of the Bunyip, which had about 11 paces long and about four paces wide. That's pretty big. Uh, the outline no longer exists. It was destroyed. Uh, but basically, this description of the Bunyip looks like a giant fat snake. So it's not like I always thought the Bunyip was something that like stood up. Like We're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. Okay. We're just, I'm trying to highlight the variety of what the word bunyip is covering. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, these, so one tribe has it as a gigantic aquatic monstrous starfish. Right. Yeah. Another one is like this big, really long, really wide, almost snake like creature. Mm, okay. And then we'll get into the more traditional bunyips. Right. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's an average. Uh, yeah. So now you made me lose my place. I mean, but just to start off, it's probably not just one thing, I'm assuming. Uh, or, so uh, what, I guess this is all about basically that... Perspective? Yeah. The Aboriginal territory was massive. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and like we said, the Wendigo, like the word Wendigo is like equates to like evil winter spirit mm-hmm. and is very different descriptions depending on where you go and how it's made and stuff like that. Right. This is something similar but different to that, that it's a name of their boogeyman almost. I do think there is a real creature to this boogeyman, but everybody's boogeyman is a little different. Different, okay. Uh, the onion are presumed seenly by witnesses, according to the descriptions, most commonly fit in two categories. 
60% of sightings resemble a giant seal-like creature or a swimming dog. So these are the ones that are seen most of the time. 20% of the sightings are a long-necked creature with a small head. The remaining descriptions are ambiguous among characterization. So it's like the rest of them are just random. They see some kind of thing, and they call it a bunyip. Gotcha. So a lot of the bunyips are this almost seal that stands upright, not stands upright, stands on all fours, can chase you, has this giant like teeth, it has claws, it's very aggressive, uh, or even more dog-like with hair and stuff like that hanging off it. Mm. Like big, almost chunks of like flesh hanging off it and stuff yeah. like that. Ooh, okay. Uh, and they're very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and then the other is this long, this long neck, small head, same big teeth, same claws, but like the animal is stretched out. Okay. It's weird, right? Yeah. Or is it? So it's like both. Well, okay. Two different counts, two different sounding creatures, but still bunyips. So according to these reports, these bunyips are rounded in the heads, resembling that of almost a bulldog. Short pointed ears, no tail, whiskers like that of a seal or an otter. The long neck variety is allegedly between 5 and 15 feet long. It's said to have a black or brown fur, large ears, small tusk, the head of a horse or an emu. What? Yeah, an elongated mane neck and about three feet with uh, many folds of skin and a horse-like tail. So there's two different, very different bunions. Very. Uh, there's a third we'll get to in a bit. Uh, I'll just keep getting there. Uh, Aboriginal mythology can in Aboriginal mythology, it can swim very swiftly on its fins or flippers. It has a loud roaring call and feeds mostly on crayfish and mollusk. Oh, okay. It will eat you, but <laughs> it, it's uh, bunyips are portrayed as bloodthirsty predators, particularly for women and children. But they are very much in their mythology of you leave their area, you don't go to their territory, you don't get eaten by a bunyip. Right. It sounds simple enough, right? Yeah. As a result, Aborigines previously avoided unfamiliar bodies of water. Uh, where the last were the bunyips lurking in the depths. Bunyip eggs are allegedly laid in platypus nest. That's weird. The bunyip appears in... Now, here's a word. I'm going to try to pronounce. There's a lot of R's, a lot of J's, and a lot of N's. Okay. Uh, Narga Radurian. Narga Radurian. Uh, the Narga Radurian dreaming as water spirits called the Marawaka, uh, which would be or would get anybody taken more than their fair share of fish from the waterways. They would get their take. Basically, these creatures would take their children if the humans were harvesting too much fish from any given waterway. Okay. So they're kind of, they think that may be one of the bunyips is like this equalizer. Yeah, it's like a protection spirit, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of lives in the river or water systems, maybe. It's like, take for too much from me, I'm going to take from you. Yeah, it's just your kids. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're pretty much taking the river's kids, so. Now, there's a lot of sightings of bunyips since uh, white colonial settlement. Okay. So there's not been any shortages. Uh, you already getting some encounters. Or do you have anything to say so far? Um, It's just, it's weird so far having the different descriptions. I know we've talked about bunyip before. I've discussed so, it so literally i've seen pictures of, like aboriginal like, descriptions of it looking almost like like a water panther yeah this big like he imagine like a big heavy set cat yeah with these flipper legs with it's big so claws weird. more seal like uh and by that i mean almost serenian 
almost yeah. like a manatee or a dugon. Yeah. Uh, it's very odd. And then very. And then this other thing is this like there are some Aboriginal descriptions. It looks like a thinned, like a, a fish that's starving to death with legs, claws, and this big, almost like sucker mouth. But both are. Being and then called, a giant starfish. Yeah, and then they're but they're all being called bunyip. And so it's, that's it's all very odd to me right now, and not what I had envisioned in my head when we discussed bunyip previously. Good, not Good. at all. The starfish one, I wanted to do a whole episode on. I just wonder. I mean, that's got to be a mis ID for something else, though, right? Because the giant starfish. But why is the starfish doing in freshwater billabong? Hmm. Is there a freshwater starfish? Hmm. Early encounters of European settlers. During the early settlement of Australia by Europeans, it's noted that it became commonly held that the bunyip was an unknown animal that was awaiting discovery. So at this point, most Europeans knew of it, believed it was real. Yeah, like never seen it. Yeah. So we'll get to the Aborigines telling the white people about the bunyips, mm-hmm. and that like they were like they had mythological creatures and they had physical creatures and they had creatures in between. Yeah. And the bunyip almost always, most of the time, got placed in the physical creature kind of realm. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, they talked about only crocodiles. Right. Okay. And you got to remember, Australia has the biggest crocodiles in the, you know, some of the biggest crocodiles in the world and has a lot of deaths due to crocodiles. So if they're putting them in the same kind of category as crocodiles, there must be something yeah. physical about them. So the white settlers, unfamiliar with the sights and the sounds of the island continent, uh, particular fauna, uh, early, Europeers, or early Europeans believed that the bunyip described to them was one more of Australia's very strange animals and sometimes uh, attributed unfamiliar calls and sounds and cries in the night with them. Scholars suggested that also in the 19th century, bunyip lore was reinforced by imported Aust- or European folklore such as the Irish puka. The puka? Mm-hmm. I like the term bun- bunyip lore. Bunyip lore? I, I want to, if I had like a Maybe that'll a, be ba- a band, I'd, I'd write an instrumental song called, called bunyip. bunyip Lore. Maybe that'll be a season four t-shirt. <laughs> bunyip Lore. A large number of bunyip sightings occurred in the uh, 1840s and the 1850s, particularly in the southwestern or the southeastern colonies of Victoria, uh, New South Wales, and southern Australia. As European settlers expanded their reach, the following is not an exhaustive list of accounts, but it is some of the highlights. Hmm. So our first one, are going to go all the way back to 1818. Okay. One of the earliest accounts of the bunyip occurred in 1818, when explorer James Morheen in Hamilton Hune discovered large bones in Lake Budapest, or Budapest in New South Wales. They did not call the creature a bunyip, but described the remains very similar to a manatee or a hippopotamus. Oh, wow. So we have a lot of dead bunyips, don't worry. I, but a lot of dead bunyips? Okay. So... They see these bones, and the guys had both seen hippos, and they'd both seen manatees. Uh, they were explorers. Uh, the bones reminded them of a very—so most people don't realize this. Like, manatees and uh, hippos have very dense, wide bones. Right, so they sink. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, basically, manatees swim, but most of the time, like, manatees and dugons, they kind of, like, crawl along the bottom. Yeah. And hippos, and then walk, hippos on the walk on the bottom. Yeah. So Australia has no hippos, and it has— ish no manatees okay what i mean by that is indian manatees are kind of there like sometimes they, they could visit. end up uh, as far as i know they're not there yeah but it's not that far of a stretch makes sense but this isn't in the middle of the continent oh okay oh right in the middle not right in the middle but, but 
But, Many miles from coastline. Yeah, and there's not too much. I mean, that's somebody very... Somebody would notice somebody else dragging a manatee across the Australian outback. At least through, yeah, once you get it there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody's going to be like, all right, I can't do it. I always sound like John Wayne when I try to do a Australian. All right, Pilgrim. Yeah. What's get old that. Tom dragging a manatee on a cart out to the outback? Found it on the beach. Oh, my gosh. On a walkabout. On a walkabout. No, so they find these big, wide bones. And as far as I could tell, no skull was found. Um, mm, okay, that's kind of a big indicator. Or a big. They just find a pile of bones. Right, exactly. So it could be anything. Really. But they were very, very large bones. Okay. So at this point, Australia didn't have a lot of large mammals left. But yeah. Well, I mean, they still probably had the megalo- megalomania, right? Megalania. Megalania. Me- not that megalomania. Was a reptile. Oh, so their bones are different or what? Yeah, oh, very. Oh, okay. Yeah, very. You can tell reptile bones. But still, either way, Australia is full of a lot of All weird... I'm saying is these bones were probably definitely mammalian. Yeah. And they were very large animal. Hmm. Maybe a paraceratherium. No, but I like the thought. Yeah. Ready for some more uh, bones? Just immediately. No, no. Ready for some more bones? Oh, yeah, I like bones. In the mid-1830s, fossilized bones were discovered by George Rankin and later again by Thomas Mitchell in the Wallington Caves in New South Wales. Uh, British atomalarist uh, Richard, Sir Richard Owens identified the fossils as an ancient marsupial. Uh, he couldn't decide whether it was either okay, Diprotiodon or Notharium. Both okay. giant mammals of Australia that were marsupials. Okay. So, uh, Diprotriodon, Diprotriodon, uh, was imagine like a wombat, mm-hmm. but like the size of a rhino. Oh, okay, that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the niche they filled. Yeah, they were some like, of the biggest megafauna. Like that's what Megalania was eating. Are there is there rhino in Australia? No, I didn't think so. Okay. So, marsupials pretty much took every mammal niche, which is weird. Like, why why are marsupials are they only in uh, Australia? No. But there's a ma- majority of them are, correct? Most are, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think pretty much any mammal that's not, or any marsupial that's not in Australia is one of the possums. Mm, okay, so, like, gotcha. we have American possums. We have opossums. Uh, there's also golden possums of South America. Like, there's several species in South America. So, marsupials are a very ancient order of mammal. Yeah. Pouched mammals are very odd. So, it's still getting that process of having a womb. Yeah. Because they don't have a womb. Okay, gotcha. That's what the pouch is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen, uh, you ever seen possums give birth? Mm-hmm. It's so weird. If, so you, if you don't know at home. Red they'll... kangaroos give like give birth to like 30 different jelly bean sized babies. Yeah. And there's only have two tits. Oh, so only two make it. Yeah. The two that. So whoever fused to it first. And they yeah. almost like fused to it. Yeah. And that's kind of like the same with possums. They. I've seen like the mom eat them off for belly and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah it's nutrients. That's, but it's so weird because they only have front legs. So oh, they're gotcha. like embryos crawling across her stomach yeah. to get into her pouch. And she's like picking at them. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's possums do the same thing, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the first written word, or the first time the written word bunyip showed up. Okay. 1845. In July 1845, the Gurlong Advertiser announced the discovery of a fossil near the Gurlong, which is a river, under the headline, Wonderful Discovery of a New Animal. This was a continuation of a story of the fossil remains that were previously talked about. The newspaper continued, one of the bones being shown on an intelligent, or, okay, well, I guess, again, 
I said there's a lot of racism co- coming up. Okay. This is racist. This is 1845. Okay. The newspaper says, <laughs> the continuation of the story, blah, blah, blah. One of the bones being shown to an intelligent black. Oh, my god! He at once recognized it as the belonging to a bunyip, which is dis- declared he had seen. So bad. Yeah. It's so bad. Uh, so our good friends, Weird Crap in Australia, they did a whole thing about, like, the Aboriginals. There was, like, a price on their head for a long time. Aboriginals? Yeah, they were being hunted. People? Yeah, people were hunting people That's for so money. That's so awful. That's like, so awful. Literally, I think it was five, uh, equivalent of, like, five bucks mm. for each Aboriginal you brought in alive and, like, three bucks for each one you brought it dead. That's so awful. And then other Aboriginals were turning in other Aboriginals, and then they were taking them all anyways to Jeez. try to save their own skin. It was crazy. Jeez. Listen to Weird Crap in Australia. Great friends of the show. Yeah, they are. Awesome podcast, actually. Yeah. Anyways, so it just, uh, there's a lot of racism pops up. Oh my gosh. Okay. I promise this story did not happen in West Virginia. <laughs> okay. Good. It just seems like it. So, anyways, an intelligent black. He once recognized it as belonging to a bunyip uh, that he had declared he had seen before in his life. On being requested to make a drawing of it, he did so without hesitation. According to a note of the story of our Aboriginal woman being killed by the bunyip and the most. Our direct evidence of all, a man who was named Mubronian, who showed several deep wounds that the beast had made on the claw with its claws on the guy's back. Oh wow! The account provided this description of the creature: the bunyip then is a representative of a uniting and the characteristics of bird and an alligator. It resembled that of an emu with a long bill at the extremities in which it was traversing projectiles at each end with segmented edges like a bone of a stingray. Its body and legs partaked of the nature of that of an alligator. Its hind legs are remarkably thick and strong. Its forelegs are much longer but still have great strength. The extremities are furnished with long claws, uh, but the blacks say it usually its, methods, its usual method of killing its prey is hugging it to death. When Now, hmm. that's important. Uh, when in the water, it swims like that of a frog. And uh, when on shore, it walks on its hind legs. When it's, you know, when its head's erect, in which position it measures 12 to 13 feet in height. <sighs> Shortly after this account, it, w- it was repeated in, in the Australian newspaper and appeared to be the first year we were used to the word bunyip in written publication. Wow. So this is the other type of one I didn't really get to talk about is this giant bird dinosaur thing. Yeah. That sounded very odd description, almost like a hodgepodge of animals. Now, I don't know at this point, so we're going to talk about animals in Australia later. Yeah. But the cassowary is an Australian bird. Okay. It is the big one, blue face, black feathers, cl- giant claws like a velociraptor. It looks mm-hmm. like a dinosaur. They are the deadliest bird on earth. Okay. They kill a lot of people, specifically aborigines. Yeah. This bird will run and gut you. Gut you, right, exactly. Like, people do not realize, like, ostriches are pretty strong and scary and whatever. These birds, the cassowaries will run over to eviscerate you. They will literally try to remove your innards. That's what they do. They aim for your stomach. Yeah. I'm Pull not. Open. It's what they do. It's, like, literally, it's all they think about. Yeah, they're psychos. Uh, there was, I've read stories of Aboriginal men, like, having to stay in trees for, like, three or four days at a time. Because it wouldn't leave them alone. They wouldn't leave them alone. Yeah. And then every time it got tired, its mate would trade places. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awful. It sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. So I kind of think with this story, that's what's happening. You think it's a cassowary? Is that, that the guy was attacked by a cassowary, 
Okay. And that's what he had the scars of a cassowary. On his back, yeah. yeah. They found bones of an ancient cassowary. Mm, like a previous bigger one. Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. And there was the devil duck of Melbourne. The devil duck. Which is a, a terror bird. Okay. Which is a gigantic version. Yeah, those are scary. Uh, but same kind of deal, but just gigantic with a big axe bill. Gotcha. So I think that's what this story's happening. And like we talked about the word bunyip, it gets used for every monster. Yeah. Not saying it's not used correctly, but it's like, keep mind, it's the boogeyman. It's almost like a blanket term for anything like big Bo- and scary. Each and tribe's boogeyman. Exactly, yeah. Each tribe's dealing with a little bit slightly different boogeyman. Now, let's talk about 1946. The bunyip oh. skull. So we're jumping ahead in. about 100 years? No, the last story was 45. Yeah. Oh, you said 18 or 19? 1846. Okay, gotcha. Or 1846. I'm sorry. I maybe did say 19. Maybe did or I misheard you. I don't and know. It happens. So okay. in July of 1846, a particular skull was taken by a settler from the banks of the Murray Bridge River near Berlin in southern Wales. Or South Wales, sorry. Initial reports suggested that it was the skull of some unknown species to science. The spatter, or the the the. Sh- the squatter who found it remarks, all the natives to whom I've showed it to call it Bunyip. Hmm. But July 1847, several experts from South Wales, uh, Murrican, and Professor Owen had identified the skull as a deformed uh, fetal skull of a foal or a calf. I'm going to get back to that. They couldn't tell if it was a horse or a cow. There's a big difference. Let me get to that. Let me finish the story. At the same time, it was promptly portrayed as a bunyip skull. It was put on display in the Australian Museum in Sydney for two days. Visitors flocked to see it. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that many people spoke out of the, about their bunyip sightings. Reports of this discovery used the phase kinpreet as well as bunyip. So they were calling it both things. Okay. Explorer William Havel, who examined the skull, also called it kinpreet. In March of the year, the bunyip was in our... The bunyip or the Emusi palatibus, the platypus, mm. was or was sighted, sunning itself on the placid blossoms of the Yaren, just opposite of Custom House in Melbourne. Immediately, a crowd gathered, and three men set off in a boat to secure the stranger, which disappeared. Uh, and when they were about a yard from him, so I'll get to that second thing because it's all the same year. This skull, yeah, weird. Do you have a picture of it? Or you see one it's or? 1847. True. Never mind. There's no picture. I have several sketches, and they don't look the same. Yeah. So you can pick whatever one you like. But there's ones that make it look like a fetal, ca- like a deformed fetal calf skull, like bubblehead. Yeah. And there's other ones that make it look more interesting. Okay. So, in my opinion, and this is my opinion as a season opener, you would be able to tell. I don't care how deformed it is. If it's a calf skull. Or a foal, which horse or cow. Horses still have canines. Okay. Horses still have all, their, their their teeth symmetry is completely different than a lot of other grazers. Yeah. Now, if you told me it was a different kind of grazer in a cow, I'd be more likely to believe it, like a sheep or something like that. Yeah. This is a horse. We're talking about the very different skeletal structures. Horses very. are very... Their family order is so different than a lot of other grazers. That's why they're kind of weird. Okay. Like, they're not true ruminants and stuff like that. Like, if you told me it's a different type of ruminant, it just is weird to me that they couldn't pick. What's a ruminant? Uh, Four-chambered stomach. Gotcha. Like a, a <laughs> big gut. I need to know. 
big gut. So there's a lot of herbivores to ruminants. Like right, they have yeah. big guts to digest their plant matter. Yep. I think this person, I don't know. I think Professor Owen just wanted it to stop. So he's put that label on yeah. it. And it's like, this it's is either what a it bull is. or a cow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did they leave yet? Which, Are they gone? Yeah. Some depictions of this make it look very Serenian. Mm. So for everybody at home, that's manatee and dugongs. Mm-hmm. Others make it look very pinniped, seal. So, and then, like I said, others make it look very horse. Others make it look very cow. So it's in the eye of the beholder, pretty much. Yeah. The guy drawing the sketch, or but who they paid to draw thousands it. Thousands of people seen it. Yeah. So everybody, like, these are all, like, there's a bunch of them, like, descriptions of it. Yeah. Now, that same year, this giant bunyip, or giant platypus, was seen uh, in, uh, where was it, Melbourne, sunning itself in, like, a local park. I don't, there's a, there's an old documentary about the bunyip I watched a long time ago as a kid, and this mm-hmm. is the story they depict. Okay. Literally, it's like... In a swamp, in the middle of a park, and it's just hanging out in the basking. It's basking on the bank, yeah. and people kind of describe it as being a giant platypus. But I mean, a twenty-foot-long platypus, right. giant, truly a giant. So they get a bunch of men get in their boats and get ropes, and they get stuff, and they start kind of getting close to it, and it doesn't like it. Just kind of dives. Doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't freak out. And then a couple ladies eventually claimed that they seen it. Like, there's like, a little hump before it goes back, like, before the swamp enters the river. Okay. They kind of said it kind of slithered over that. Like, uh, the way they described it, you ever seen, like, everybody at home, a giant salamander that's on land? The giant Japanese salamander, they put them on land, and they kind of crawl. Okay. But they're really flat to the ground. Right, yeah. Because they don't want to be on land. Right. That's kind of what everybody described it as to me. Okay, so it wasn't up, like, off the ground running. Yeah, it was very flat. Like, it did not want to be out of the water, but it could if it had to. Gotcha. What do you think so far? It's very odd. Giant platypus, horse, or all of the above. Bird, uh, experiment. <laughs> Ra- no, I radioactive don't. Radioactive fallout. I uh, don't think anything in Australia has to be an experiment. It's just Australia. It's, I know it's our. The, the whole continent's an experiment. That's where God <laughs> threw everything in the. It's like God's junk drawer. <laughs> yeah, it's his ketchup drawer. Uh, where he's got all this baggage of ketchup in there. Sir, we don't know where to put this animal. Throw it in the drawer. Australia. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll find. It literally has every habitat. You'll find. You'll find somewhere it wants to live. It'll find a place to live. All right, William Buckley's account of the bunyip, eighteen fifty-two. Bunyip, bunyip. After this, one, we're gonna take a break. Jaws. <laughs> I can get your bunyip. I need a bigger boat. Bunyip. <laughs> Wilford Brimley. Diabetes. Uh, another elder, early written account. I said elderly because I was thinking of uh, Wilford Brimley. Uh, another early written account attributes it escape convict William Buckley's uh, in his 1852 biography of 30 years of living in the Roth, with the Rothirung people. So he's an escape convict. His 1852 account records in Lake Marawari, uh, now Lake Madarar, uh, as well as the most other inland, as very extraordinary or was a very extraordinary amphibious animal, which the natives called the bunyip. Berkeley's account suggests that he saw such a creature on several occasions. He adds, "I could never see any full part of it except its back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusky gray color. It seemed, 
Yeah, yeah. It seemed to be about the size of a full-grown calf. Uh, a full-grown calf's a cow, just so everybody knows. <laughs> I could never learn any of the native, or I could never learn from any of the natives that they had seen either hide nor tail of it. Buckley also claimed that the creature was common in the Barrow River and cites the examples he heard from Amber's woman being killed by one. He emphasized that the bunyip was believed to have supernatural powers. So he lived with these people for 30 years, the the, uh, native aborigines. And he would see it, he's seen it a handful of times, and the aborigines all kind of said that, like, that's the most we see of it. It's just that little bit. Yeah, because we leave. When they see it, they leave. Yeah. Because it murders people. It's a harbinger. Well, no, it's not like the Mothman. Like, people have seen bunyips rip people in half. Oh, yeah, there's that, too. It's like the Mothman's like weird stuff happens around it. No, like the bunyip comes out of the water, just rips you in half. <laughs> Guts you and eats you. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take our break, then we'll continue our stories. We still have a couple more, and then we're going to get to some bunyip hunts. Okay. They tried to hunt it. Bad idea. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> we'll be back. And we're back. Yes. Hope you enjoyed that little break. Uh, yeah, we just sat here the whole time. There's no real break. There ain't no rest for the wicked. Okay. Squatacolor. Oh my gosh, I hate this guy's name. Edwin? Edwin Squatacolor. Let's just stick with Ed. <laughs> Ed, old Ed. In an article entitled, entitled The Bunyip in 1857, a newspaper reported of a drawing made by Ed as he traveled from the Murray to Goldburn, or from the Murray to the Goldburn Rivers. Amongst the letters drawing, or amongst the letters in the drawings, we notice the likeness of the bunyip, or rather, the view of the neck and the shoulders of the animal. Edwin, or Edwin, informed us that the bunyip was a large freshwater seal, having two small pectoral fins or pectoral fins attached to its shoulders, a long swan-like neck, and a head like that of a dog, and a curious bag hanging underneath its jaw. A bag. Think of a pelican. Okay. Uh, like that of a, or it was a pelican. The animal's covered with fur, like a platypus, and the color is a glossy black or gray. Edwin saw no less than six of these curious animals at different times. His boat was written, uh, was within 30 feet of one near McGuarin's uh, Pont on the Goldburn River, and he fired at the bunyip, but did not succeed in capturing the animal. The, the smallest appeared to be about five feet in length, and the largest exceeded well over 15 feet in length. The head of the largest was the size of, that of a bullock's head, like a bull. Mm, gotcha. Uh, and three feet out of the water. After taking a sketch of the animal, Edwin showed it to several blacks of the Goldburn, or the Goldburn tribe who declared it as the picture was a bunyip or a bunyip brother, meaning a disciple or the likeness of the bunyip. The animal moved against the current at a rate of about seven miles per hour, and the specimen, uh, oh, sorry, about seven, and, mis- and Edwin states that he could have approached close to the specimen he observed, but he not dared by the stories of the natives yeah. concurring with the power and the fury of the bunyip. I would not. And the fact that the, he had his gun on him only was a single barrel and a single shot. Uh, and his boat was very frail. Wait, what did he have? Uh, one of those... Uh, 1847. I know. What are those big guns called where you 
A blunderbuss? Yeah, a blunderbuss. No, no. He's saying his gun is only one shot, and he didn't want to get close to it and try to shoot it. Uh, yeah, one shot. It's a, that's a blunderbuss. It's just one big barrel. It's just what one shot. Oh, most guns in history were single shot. What do you mean? I, I mean, they, yeah, like a Colt revolver. Not you're thinking of like maybe in America at this time. Ah, okay, like black powder rifles and stuff like that were all single shot. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> no guns for most of history were single shot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. I don't know why you went to blunderbust. I don't know. That's just the first thing I bought my. Head. That's He's a like, cannon. I know. He's got that. I only got one shot. I ain't wasting. Yeah, it. guess what? If he had a blunderbust, I think the bunny would be dead. <laughs> it'd be it'd be in pieces. I literally watched uh, one of those stories of the like uh, one of the reenactments. And somebody put a bunch of like forks in a blender bust. Oh yeah, I seen those too. Forks, uh, just glass, like everything. Okay, the description varies across newspaper accounts, but the great bunyip question seems likely brought to a close as Edwin, an artist, and the gentleman who had come up from Murray in a small boat, states that he then when he saw one and was able to draw it, vex or and draw it and answer these vexed questions, but could not successfully or could not succeed in catching him. We have seen the sketches, and we put our minds to the hybrids between a water mole and the great sea serpents. So there's you can look up Edwin's uh, Scorchacaller. Edwin Scorchacaller. Yeah, his his account, his full account. Yeah, it's it looks like a like a big water panther seal. Yeah, and that's when you were talking earlier. We there was a couple accounts where it did give you that seal vibe, but. I don't. I don't know if I can believe it's an actual seal. And then the feathers on the back and stuff that's like not, that. That's like a lot of the seal ones have the feathers. Hmm. And that could be attributed to actual feathers or just like weird matted fur pattern or something. I don't know. Hmm. Or like wrinkly fur, you know, with you know wrinkly skin with fur on it that could resemble like you know how feathers when they're laid down. Yeah, I could see that. All right. There's been several hunt attempts. These are kind of hard to research, but we're gonna get into them. Okay. But before we get into that, you have anything? I mean, just to recap everything, it, whatever this is, it's not, I don't think it's just one thing. Or if it is, there may be some, it's kind of like got that Bigfoot vibe where it's something physical is going on, but there may be something more, uh, what's the word, metaphysical mm. or something more, you know, like uh, uh, elemental to it too. Like where it's some one of those creatures that are kind of, I don't know, something scary, something scary that's manifested from, <laughs> the earth, the ground. How would you pronounce the word? K O O L U N G A. K O O L U N G A. Kulunga. Kulunga. We'll go with Kulunga. Okay. The Great Kulunga Bunyip Hunt of 1883. Always sounds like fun. <laughs> uh, when did the Civil War in the U.S. end? Oh, you're asking uh, a guy that did not pay attention in school. <laughs> So the bunyip. Yep, I think it ended up the bunyip. I think it ended um a long time ago. <laughs> uh, oh, how did you say this? Kula Kulunga. Kulunga is a South a or South Australian po uh, town. Population 195. Hmm. It's uh, the equivalent of a one horse town. Uh, you'll have to try to find it on a map, but I like pretty much Good luck. like everybody just gives the geo coordinates. <laughs> yeah. But it's on the Barthington River. Uh. Yet in the early 1883, there was a center of a colorful bunyip hunt, which kept the rest of the continent amused for a long time as it ended with a blast. No doubt, many readers of the Queensland in the Tasmanian or in the Tasmanian were asking themselves at the time, "What the blank or where the blank is Kulunga?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's like Ada. Yeah. Just like some town out in the middle of nowhere. This is the area apparently favorable for the Bunyips back in 1876. Uh, we talked about there was some sightings, but there was uh, one basically seen in Crystal Brook. Another one was seen in the Rocky River, not here in Ohio. Another one was seen in the Broad in fifty in 1853. Uh, so this little area has tons and tons and tons of Bunyip sightings, even for its general area having a lot of Bunyip sightings. Uh, but yeah, so it started off with a dispatch to Kalunga or to Kalunga, dated July, or January twenty second, published the South Australian Register in Alberdina or Alberdeen, sure. Uh, through the 25th of January, 1883, on page 7, sandwiched between reports of harvest, weather, uh, church reports. The paragraph states, A great sensation has been caused in the last few days, the reports of a bunyip having been seen in the river near Whitecliff. The reports were so authenticated that a large party of gentlemen have organized a special force so that all through the investigation of the truth for them, they are now in the field of operations where it is intended to capture the bunyip by the aid of dynamite. Oh, yeah. Where have we heard this story before? Bosco. Exactly. I'm sure this will end well. I think this is Bosco's cousin. (laughs) Yeah, it's like their equivalent. The same page also includes the uh, provisional telegram from Kluanga dated January 24th to the effect that the bunyip was was in a large water hole near the the Barthenton River near Freeman's Homestead. Uh, and now is the fast. As we fast forward a few weeks on page eight, the Port Alderdean News on Friday, the February sixteenth. A great excitement has been caused by the bunyip. Several attempts have been made to capture it, but yet none have been successful. Still, so several gentlemen are subgenian to success, and are preparing a lot of dynamite charges to be used in the next water hole to the bunyip is seen to enter. No doubt, many people are skeptical. speculative about the existence of such a thing up there, but there is none or not the least doubt that some sort of creature has been seen and it hides itself in the goings underwater in the deep holes. But the name and nature of the animal is yet to be proven Four persons whose word can be trusted have positively declared that they have seen it. Finally, a blank, the bank clerk and Claire called Clark who the bank clerk and Claire called Clark. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> Who doubted as such a news, or who doubled as a newspaper correspondent, decided to see for himself, and his fantastic account was published in the newspaper, and the earliest appeared to have been on page six. And I'll read that here in a second. Uh, It's crazy. So there's been several hunts for this creature. Uh, I believe this particular account had several livestock and animals go missing. Okay. Uh, So far, like not a lot of descriptions. I'm going to read Clark's thing here in a second. I know one cow going missing in Kalunga is a big deal. Well, there's only 195 people. Exactly. That's like half their food for the, you know, that month. Probably, you know, cows like a year. Well, yeah, 100 people. 100 people we pick up our cow pretty fast. Oh, no, I'm, talk- I'm talking about an individual farmer, I guess. Oh, gotcha. Oh, for sure, yeah. Actually, my, I mean, our family, we have a, we usually get a full cow and it will last us a year mm-hmm. plus. So a cow's a big deal because it takes a year and a half, two years to get it there. Yeah. And then, you know, but no, animals were going missing. So going to see the bunyip by Clark. So many reports of this wonderful animal have reached Claire, where I am stationed, and I determined to go with opportunity offered to see with my own eyes this creature, which does not appear in any natural history, but is reported to rise up out of the watering hole nightly. 
The watering hole in which the bunyip is said to spend most of its existence is near Kulunga. And here's, here's what he says. I've seen it frequently, but always at night when the moon was up, says a gentleman from Kulunga to me a few days since. It looks, he went on, something like that of a fat weathered, or a fat weather, like a horse, mm-hmm. with a head somewhat like that of a rhinoceros. But on the back, there's either a shell or short hair. Another man told me that it was as big as a foal, two weeks old. And it was reported that the natives told white people years and years and years ago about the bunyip or the devil which lives in the pools. Many old residents of Clare and Kulunga and other places remember hearing such an animal having been seen. But it was always looked upon as an imaginary creature or that it could only be seen by men who were in the condition of being unable to discern the difference between a hay sack and a meat sack. Mm, okay. Uh, they were drunk. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people go to the river to get drunk. I'm one of them. I was going to say, it sounds familiar. I am that person. Uh, but still, I've never been drunk enough. To where you couldn't differentiate a haystack and a meat sack? From a monster. Yeah. And uh, just nothing. Yeah. That's du- That's not alcohol. At least our alcohol. I guess absinthe makes you see stuff. So maybe, perhaps. Okay. Is that over there in Australia? In 1857? I don't know. They probably got something. They're probably like, you know. They're probably drinking cactus water. Yeah, exactly. Mixing they don't it. even have cactuses. They don't? No. It's like a desert out there. They hate cactuses. They're probably wringing out tumbleweeds and drinking that. What? Where are cactuses native to? I don't Deserts? Okay. We'll get back to that. All right. Okay. So through perhaps being able to capture the bunyip and travel as a showman currently had something to do with the prompting me to go forth and wage war with him, says Clark. So basically, he's given up his bank job. He wants to capture this bunny because he thinks all these dumb hicks can't catch it, but me, a, a city bank man, can catch it, and yeah. I'm going to make so much money off this thing. Smart. Yeah, there's not any movies about that. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, he Okay, so... Okay. He has ever done anyone? Has he ever done anyone harm? I asked my Kalugan uh, friend. Well, I don't know that, but the children are frightened of it, and so are some of the women. Of course, men are not. No, he said. Went out with guns and shoot him. And when he saw the bunyip, he got nervous and could not get aim straight. And then the bunyip jumped into the water again. Are you certain you saw it? Oh yes, on oh, my soul, I did. He says. The strange to say. The horses and the cattle will not drink from the holes at night where the bunyip lives. <laughs> I could not help but thinking that the bunyip near or were near akin to Lewis Carl's Schnark or Bugigen. Different, just weird little monsters. Okay. Almost like they're lumber lord creatures. Gotcha. Uh, on Saturday, February 17th, I arranged to have a trap driven for, or uh, have to have, I arranged for a trap to drive four of us Kalunga every or early in the afternoon, so it has to be on time to witness the bunyip come out of the water as the moon shed her majestic rays on the hunting pool. Mm, nice. Many of the Clare people cuffed us on go or cuffed at us going on such a wild goose chase, and so did the gentleman who awaits the harmless and senseless uh, possibilities of the Clare paper under the norm de plume of idler heard of our going and reported that a consents of a satiric poem, The Bunyip Hunter. So basically, everybody's making fun of him uh, so much 
for him going. He's going to this tiny little city to hunt the mythical monster. Yeah. So he's making so much fun of him. They post a funny poem about him in the paper. About him. Mm-hmm. Now, a few of the clear people, huh? Do we have that poem? I don't. Dang it. Keep my 1857. I know, but how funny. I imagine, okay, you know, we already covered the uh, intelligent blacks, you know, verbiage from earlier. I imagine if they're making fun of this guy, the things they actually would have said back then, too. Probably been pretty brutal. You're just as intelligent as the blacks. Like, gosh, it's so they're, bad. Yeah, oh, gosh, it's bad. <laughs> Aboriginal specifically, yeah. Anyways, not a few of the Clare people looked surprised when they heard I was off for the day. The people I adored were are those who never considered a bank clerk to go out of or to go out for harm, and I have always been or to be at the customer's beck and call, and to go willingly, no matter what hour of day or night, to return to the bank to change currency and the negligent cashing during business hours. No one but the bank clerk who has experienced it can think of how unpleasant it is to be hunted down by a customer who wants change. Some customers are actually so anxious to get change that they will not think twice before rousing the bank clerk out of bed even in hours of three of the night. So he's basically saying, uh, being a bank clerk sucks. Yeah, yeah. And all these people suck. Yeah. So I'm going to go hunt the bunyip and become a, like a, a traveling carnival. Yeah, this will be better. It was a lovely afternoon, and the drive was most enjoyable. We stopped a few minutes into Roaster. How strange it seems now for any township not to be connected to the other ones via telegraph wires. How isolated it one feels now dwelling in such a township. And how fresh this slight, the staleness of news seems to be in the inhabitants of such a place. The wire has not yet been carried to Kalunga. And we have heard no news of how the Englishmen were getting on the cricket until Saturday or until Sunday. Uh, when the two buggers from Clare arrived and one which was a bunyip hunter were... When they arrived in Kalunga, we had tea at the hotel. There's such English stuff. And as soon as we d- digested some, we started to see the bun- or started to see the bunyip. We followed announcements on the place hung up at the bar. The Kalunga hotel attendees that noticed any attempts will be made on Wednesday, the 21st of February, to capture the bunyip, which will last seen at the waterhole near the Freeman's farm. Dynamite will be used. A start will be made from the Kalunga hotel at two o'clock in the afternoon. February 17th, 1830, 1883, sorry. Now this place seemed to be added much to one our belief of the existence of the Bunyip. I do not wish to flatter the Kalunga people, but I must say that they have any with or they are without any exception of very worse people than they've ever come across from directing on one certain point. I don't know if I understand. I know. This English talk, 1883, Australia. Okay. Basically, he gets there, and there's, like, posters saying, like, hey, everybody, uh, we're going to go kill the bunyip yeah. this day. We're going to start at the bar at 2 o'clock. We're going to dynamite it, and then we're going to blow it up. Like, we're going to kill it. Uh, please don't make any attempts on it until this date right. because we don't want to scare it off into another watering hole. Right. We kind of know where it's hiding right now. And he's like, uh, he, I don't – he, being a bank clerk from a nice town, is like, I don't really – want to compliment these people, but these are the worst people I've ever seen. Yeah, so awful. <laughs> I feel like that's like all the ONU kids that come to Ada. Come, yeah, I was I was thinking similar, like coming all to these, these rich small kids that town. come to the small. These are the worst monsters I've ever seen, and we're just sitting here staring at corn. Yeah, hey, it's it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Okay, uh, we they left just... Kluga at seven twenty, and we were told that the distance are about four miles to the watering hole where the bunyip was that we had to keep to the river 
and we could not go wrong. After keeping to the twist and twirling of the river, we having walked considerably more than five miles, I saw the distance in a house in the window in which was a light glimmered, leaving my friends uh, to ramble along the slow. I went up to the house, encouraged by several dogs, and asked the way to the hunting hole. The Irishwoman opened the door and the answer to my question, ain't no more than a mile away across the river down there. Keep up the side and you will come across some tents. It's just there. In Scotland, when the man tells you and you're about three miles and a wee bit, uh, always from a place, you can rarely be a wee bit, and oftentimes it's more than three miles. Yeah, a wee bit. Uh, it w- have you ever seen wee bit written out? It's weird. Uh, I in guess so- not. <laughs> it was in some of or in some of the cases, ain't no more than a mile. It was at least two to four miles. Hmm. So it's at a least the tent- jump, it sounds yeah. like to me. At least the tents came into view, and we noticed a man was carrying uh, water from the river. He was addressed, and he, regardless of grammar, said, I, this guy is so like up and tidy. Yeah. Well, he's a banker. Mm-hmm. What do you expect? It's uh, it's just two hundred perch, about a kilometer from here. I gave rise to the examination among us, and that was a perch. I bet he made, and or, I bet a bet was made, and by the time I paid my expresses to the bunyip and back again, my opponent believed it took six yards to take a perch. It was only about five and a half feet. Mm. Just I don't know. They're doing this weird stuff. Right. Yeah. But basically, yeah, he keeps going. Uh, so they get up to a numberless plunge of paddocks we waded through and countless paddocks of sobered. We passed over the immense number of wire fences. At the last, we determined it was 3 o'clock and we wandered no longer the state of darkness. So this, I jumped forward a little bit. The aurora rising. It was the middle of the Plugan paddock, having no friendly moon to smile at us. The wire fence... Uh, or even a wire fence to protect us from the brittle wind. We lay down and tried for a while to lose ourselves in the land of dreams. At about five, we rose, refreshed by our stretch of sleep. We started off for a quick step and a great appetite. When we had reached the hotel, we ordered breakfast, and although we were all hungry, not one of us enjoyed what was provided for us. Clops and steaks. I don't know what a clop is. But the steak sounds good. Yeah, clop and a steak were together on the same dish. And they were neither hot nor cold. And the landlady had not informed us that the roasted goose was for dinner. And we would just such like complaining. So I'm going to skip ahead again. They ate dinner at the hotel. Uh, they were anxious to go find the bunyip. Uh, so they reached the watering hole about 8 o'clock and reminded that until 2 o'clock on Monday morning. Uh, so they, they got there about 8 o'clock a couple nights before. They waited until 2 o'clock on Monday when there's the hunt supposed to go. Right. Uh, when we returned to Claire on Sunday night, there was nothing of the bunyip at all, but occasionally heard the splashes before uh, described. So they keep hearing it at night. Even those of our friends who had heard the few splashes thought believed, it exist, or believed in the existence of the bunyip, and they expressed the desire to make another trip out there. But when, when the moon was at its full, and the event of the 100 charges of dynamite, uh, the Kluge gentleman called it, failing to put an end to this curious and interesting creature, the best of the waterhole in Klunga were on horseback. Uh, so basically, they didn't get it. Gotcha. Just all this all this work. I was going to say, after the way, I just like how you're just like, oh, gosh, this guy complains a lot. Like, and I've read it before, but it's just like. <laughs> now, and then so other people were seeing it, like as they were detonating the charges, like people would see it, like almost described it as a whale flopping around the hole and stuff like that. As they were blowing up dynamite. Yeah, yeah. and it got out. It got back into the river. Yeah, gotcha. 
So some people think it was a crocodile, like uh, an unusually big crocodile they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. Some people think it was an actual bunyip. I don't know. What do you think? I know there's not a lot from that story. Right. Just some old white guy from a bank complaining. I mean, it probably was the actual bunyip because, I mean, they, you know, people in small towns, yeah, like he said, like they're, some, what do he say, the uh, nastiest people or what do he say? The like, most dreadful people like, I've ever, are that exist on the planet. Like, okay. What a... He sounds like not the best kind of dude, but I mean, they—they're not dumb. They know something's out there. They know what it is. I mean, if you live out there, especially if you're in a small town, you know, like everybody knows everybody. It's a close knit community. They're not gonna just like have one strange guy be like, "All right, bunny hunt, bunny hunt time, guys!" Like, and you know, no one and no one would be involved. If they're all getting involved in the hunt, they must all believe firmly enough that there's it's worth going out because you know there's not that much people in the town your resources are limited you know and everyone kind of has to take care of everyone at that point you know in in a sense in a sense but you're not just all going to go out of your way to go hunt something that doesn't exist that you don't even know exists especially if they're putting up warnings so like yeah don't go out there and disturb it yet because we know where it is let's go blow it up even though it didn't work but so fast forward uh several years a so Tim the Yowie Man, I don't, I can't find the actual dates. He Tim? went out. Tim the Yowie Man. Okay, he's pretty famous in Australia. Okay, uh, and this is kind of a hard story for me to research, but I think it was early two thousands. He went out on well, so there oh, was one in like the eighties. He did a bunya punt. Okay, late eighties, early nineties. So supposedly, he got a photograph of the bunya. But the camera was lost on the way back. Ah, oh, dang. Because they took like all this kite, ki- like basically like. Boated in, uh, got way, way far up into the river, mm-hmm. and then he got a picture of a bunyip, like, with its neck raised over the water, almost like a Nessie. Yeah. And then on the way back, he lost the camera. And he went back again 17 years later, and all he found was weird droppings, marks, slides, and all that kind of stuff. Well, at least he's got some evidence, I guess, with the droppings and the slide marks. and It's something. It's something tangible. Something's there. But slide marks could be anything, especially in Australia. Crocodiles. Yeah. Crocodiles. Like, they're the number Turtles. one culprit. Turtle. Yeah. It, there's tons of stuff. There. Well. Americans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You sliding in and out of a river. I could see you living I'm, in Billabong. I could live in a Billabong. <laughs> yeah. No, I've seen some people kayaking that have to slide in and out of the river. Oh, that makes sense, too. Yeah. Duh. Gosh. Yeah. It could be anything, I guess. But the weird droppings. Okay. That's something. But <laughs> Australia's full of so many weird animals. I'm sure the droppings are equally weird. So. Uh, I have just a couple small things before we get into possibilities, and I, we'll talk about possibilities for a while. I know I skipped over the hunts because I just didn't have any real good sources for them. They're all like he said, she said, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, hearsay. And- uh, figure of speech and entomology. In the 1850s, the word bunyip was also a synonym for imposter, ah. pretender, or humbug. Mm, okay. So the word bunyip in the 1850s was used for several different things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I just thought that was kind of neat that like people were being called bunyips and stuff like that. Yeah. And it could be mean several different things. Uh, the bunyip has been in pop culture in fi- in fiction and film forever. Okay. Like there's a list that's two miles long. Oh gosh. Okay. But it, I'm sure it's all like, you know, like, Australian. The bunyip was a local things. newspaper. The bunyip, the, or the house of the general bunyip was a movie uh, about low income housing. Uh, there's all the, like the bunyip is just everywhere from cartoons to mascots to, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, 
Uh, but yeah. Okay. Is it in the zeitgeist? Hmm? Yeah. Majorly in the zeitgeist. So before one thing before we get into possibilities, I'm going to talk about is the Aborigines use the bunyip to their benefit. Okay. I've talked about this before on yes. the show. Is that Aborigines would talk about all these animals when the European settlers were killing them. They were literally had a bounty on their head like they were an animal. Like they put the bounty on the trilocine and they put the bounty on the Aborigines. Gosh. Uh, you could get a pass if you were a smart black. So bad. It's just like, there's just, yeah, anyways, it's it's all horrible. Yeah. But the Aborigines would talk about saltwater crocodiles as nothing. Like they weren't scared of them. And, and then they would talk about the bunyip and be terrified. So these white settlers would see a saltwater crocodile as the scariest thing they've ever come in contact with. Yeah. Just a horrible monster. So they can't even imagine. And then this, like, the average is talking about, like, oh, that's just a crocodile. What do you mean? What are you worried about? Yeah. It, now, the bunyip. The bunyip in these billabongs at night. If it's a billabong, you hear these weird, oh, calls. You know, you better run away. Like, the bunyip will come and eat you. The average kind of use this as their own underground railroad to get out of areas. Yeah. So literally, some of the aborigines would, at night, go through an area and go, and all these white people just take off. <laughs> Rightfully so. So some of the bunyip stories may have been exaggerated due to this, so a practice to, of survival. Who's the intelligent one now? Yeah. Yeah. The smart blacks. Gosh. It's, what the, it's, it's just like... I know. I, it pops up so much in the language. So bad, yeah. Uh, so they get like... So they were using these to help move through areas that were heavily being they were heavily being prosecuted in mm-hmm. for just being Aborigines, right? For existing, and it's amazing how much Aboriginal culture survived uh, because they had a bounty on their head. I know it's there was people that made their whole careers and I can't on hunting Aborigines. Like there's so much knowledge there too. That's a sad thing. The oldest written language, our oldest readable language on the planet. Yeah, is it really? Mm-hmm. It's not cuneiform. Forty, I think forty-two thousand years. Okay. That's it's old. It's yeah. pretty old. So it's not like written. It's because it's like pictograph. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it's like a, it's, it. It depends on what you want to define. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I'm talking that they can look at it and tell the story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which are stories? To me, that's just might as well be written language. It doesn't matter that it's written. same difference. Yeah. If you, know, you if you know any like Aboriginal lore stories, it, they're awesome. They are so awesome. And remember, if any of our Australian listeners, I know this has probably been a little rough for you guys to listen to. Because it's just hard to research on our end. Yeah. But please send us the Aborigine stuff, like anything. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to say that Aborigines use this for cover. Uh, another thing is it helped boost these legends are the kookaburras. Ooh, kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. Mary yeah. Mary King of the bushes, he. Yeah. So kookaburras are members of the kingfisher family. Yeah. Uh, we have little kingfishers here in the U.S. Uh, kookaburras are massive as right. far they're, as kingfishers they're the big, go. They're the big Like boys. small hawk sized. Mm-hmm. But they can mimic and make. And, like so many amazing noises. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Uh, Yowies, their Bigfoot also gets blamed on a lot of kookaburras, oh. or vice versa. Right, right, right. They, they sound like kookaburras. They're no like or kookaburras. Kookaburras make ungodly noises. Yes, and, and they're like oh, it's yowie. A yeah, it's nice. It's this little bird going yeah. going mean, nuts. Do people it's the same thing with the bunyip too? Yes. Okay. And they prefer so kookaburras will actually hang out in caves and the rivers, like in the bun- and then the billabong and, areas and gum trees and gum trees. Well, that's where the bill that's where it goes around the billabongs. See, there we go. But no, so at night kookaburras can sound horrifying. So that's what they think a lot of the the white man legend of the, the bunyip got spread By the- is not understanding that this little tiny bird is just making ungodly noise. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just terrifying noises. Hmm. 
So I just wanted to say that before we move on. Yeah, are we going to get into uh, what could it be? Right. So I have several things. We can, I know you do. We I can know. talk about this for a while. Yeah. Uh, let's just, the first one is hoax slash folklore. And what I mean by hoax is that I just told you about the Aborigines portraying this creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people think that it's purely, they pulled something out of their folklore that the adults are like, that's just our boogeyman. Yeah. But we can use this to our advantage to not be murdered. Yeah. So is that what propagated it into a white settlers moving into a very terrifyingly wild, like wildlife rich country, white settlers moving in and these Aborigines spreading these legends to help protect themselves. And that's what fired up the bunyip. Yeah. Like we talked about in the beginning. The bunyip isn't like has so many descriptions. Yeah. It's not a giant one bird, yeah. a seal, an elephant, uh, a starfish, a, a starving fish that crawls onto land. Like literally all these things. Some so guy. Is this, a collective idea the Aborigines had to scare white people into air so they could move out of areas. Because mm. a lot of Aborigines just retreated into the continent. Right, yeah. They just went into the, the areas that c- white people couldn't survive. Exactly. Only they could live there. I don't think, like, most people live, like, I think it's 60 miles from the coastline of Australia because the in, like... It's the, like 99%. The outback is horrid. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's deadly. So, when I say hoax, that's what I mean. I don't mean hoax as in... It this never guy existed. dressed up out there in the bunyip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's even been uh, convicts have used the bunyip to escape, but there's also stories of convicts being eaten by bunyips. Oh gosh, but they could also have pretended to be eaten. No, so I, yeah, I think it's pretending both ways. That yeah. When convicts got out, they were walking in the swamps, making yeah, scaring people away. But there's also these prisoner compounds that uh, the prison guards could have been using the bunyips in the swamps around and being like, yeah, if you try to escape and run. You're just going to get eaten by bunyips. All right, yeah, they're all out there. Like, literally, you hear them all night, brr, yeah. you know? Yeah. So is this all just kind of a big hoax? As in uh, everybody using folklore to their advantage. Right, yeah. And it's just as a collective become, the stories have grown into just being mm-hmm. all f- pretty much fabricated. But I, I think some of it's hoax. Like, sure, some of it I get, I can guarantee has been heavily hoaxed or heavily used to their advantage to... Pretend. I pulled a J and dropped something. Protect and scare people. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that plays a big part in this, too. Okay, my next one. A warning about danger. What I mean by this is that a lot of folklore gets makes up monsters to keep children away from certain dangers. Oh, Or to gotcha. teach certain lessons. Right, yeah. So, crocodiles are kind of fascinating to kids. Mm-hmm. I was hitting one. With, I was hitting an alligator. I was hitting an alligator with a net when I was six. Just, just because, like an eight foot alligator. I'm not yeah. joking. I got away from my dad. He was fishing. Didn't see the alligator. I have like a little kid toy net. I'm whacking it in the face. And dad looked over, and I just remember him picking me up so hard and running. Yeah. And it was like at a hotel in Florida. Jesus. And I loved I loved reptiles. Yeah. So just a big reptile. Yeah, big dog. Do you? Yeah, I'm hitting it. I'm hitting it in the face, and yeah. it's just sitting there. If it was a wild alligator, I probably would have been in trouble. This yeah. is like a hotel pet, quote unquote. Yeah. That like everybody like that night, dad's seen a bunch like the hotel dumping food for it. Yeah. So he was just sitting there waiting for me to feed it, but you're still a dangerous. <laughs> I know, and you're sitting there wagging it with a net. So what if this so I I guess what I'm saying is that there's all this stuff, like uh kids are fascinated mm? by reptiles are fascinating. So the crocodiles, real danger in Australia. Venomous snakes yeah. in the water. Yeah. Super dangerous in Australia. Yeah. So what if this is a the Aborigines version of, like I said, even in the beginning, it's their boogeyman. 
Right. So they make this amalgamation of a creature of just pure chaos and bloodlust and death, but it's tied to the water. So your kids, when they get away at night, they're smart. They don't want to go towards the water because that's where it lives. The bunyip. Yeah, it's not a crocodile. It's not a normal animal, you know. It's something way And that's across every culture on the planet has these things. Right, that's true. From all, from the uh, Inuits in Alaska, all, you know, to these Aborigines, to, you know, Africans, to Native Americans, to white settlers. You know, we all have these legends. The spooky monster that lives in the water. They teach a lesson. Right, yeah. To keep kids away from these deep, dark waters where real threats live. But the real threats aren't scary. It's just this weird thing with kids. Is it, a crocodile's not scary, a snake's not scary, Don't, uh, but this bloodthirsty monster, this uh, uh, thing of chaos is. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dang scary. What do you think about that? I think that it could have played a part in it, but I also, I just, I do think the bunyip's a real thing, though. So I think, I think they probably did use the bunyip as a way to keep kids out because it's true. Like it will, it, Literally, it's not like just trying to scare them. It's trying to scare them, yes, but it's actually true. Like, you will get eaten because I think it's happened. I mean, from some of those accounts, it did happen. Whether it was a crocodile or not, I mean, maybe, but yeah, and I do believe in the bunyip. There's real animals in Australia that will kill you. Yeah, exactly. A lot of them. Exactly. Like yeah. everything from huntsman spiders to crocodiles to brown snakes, you know. To me, when I'm there. Yeah. Real yeah. scary. I don't think you're very high up to the cassowary. But this could explain... Why the bunyip for every tribe has a different look, a right, different yeah. appearance. It's their different version of the bunyip. Their different version of the boogeyman. Their monster at night is slightly different because they're they have diff- slightly different cultural values. Slightly right, different, yeah. you know. Even it's so. Why is one giant starfish? They may be eating more, you know, more coastal. You know, they're these are animals that they're exaggerating to make these monsters. Right. Yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, I could, I could, I could subscribe to it a little bit, just a little bit. All right, my next one is actually Diprotriodon. What is that? So this is the extinct giant marsupial, the rhino. Oh, that's what we talked about. It's, okay. Uh, some people actually think it may have been like a hippo. So as far as we know, there's no such thing as an aquatic, fully aquatic marsupial. Okay. Even semi-aquatic marsupials don't really exist. Okay. Uh, everybody, I'm, before we get to it, the platypus is not a marsupial. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's one of those. That and the echidna, right? Yeah, or egg-laying mammals. They are true mammals, but they are egg-laying mammals. So weird. Uh, So we don't have any... So here's my thing, is that Australia's all their megafauna niches were filled by marsupials, mostly. So why wouldn't there be a hippo? Hmm. So in Vietnam, Asia, we have the water buffalo. Yeah, which is their and people don't realize like water buffaloes will walk right in the bottom of rivers. Yeah, like they'll sit there. They're comfortable. They hold their breath for a really long time. They eat vegetation at the bottom of the river. North America has the moose. Yep. Uh, when they were more ubiquitous, they literally moose would literally swim thirty feet down and eat vegetation at the bottom of a river. Imagine being down there like they're, swimming and an a adult moose is most uh, uh, adult moose's only active predator is orcas. Gosh, oh my gosh, moose are gigantic. Yeah, and that's it. So. There's all these things. Uh, so South America has the the tapers. Yeah, they have large, and then Africa obviously has hippos. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's all these tropical, subtropical regions have a mega mammal that lives in the water. South America also now has hippos, but that's from Pablo other Escobar. Reasons. Yeah, other reasons. Uh, so Australia's kind of missing theirs. Mm, okay. So uh, this dippo, this uh, the dippo, the dippo hippo. Uh, 
could be their version of a hippo. And now it seemed to have very dense bones. It was a very, very large marsupial. It was very wombat, wombat-like. It looked just kind of like, kind of like a supersized wombat, but it has evidence it almost even maybe had a horn like a rhino. Okay. Uh, didn't have the sheath horn like that, but like a large bony protuberance. Gotcha. So for ramming or defense or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. A lot of people think this could be their hippo. Hmm. Now, let's say this didn't go extinct. This is living almost a quiet entirely like hippos, except they're a lot more solitary. So there's not these giant herds of them living in a river. Yeah. Each one or two takes a billabong. They stay in it at n- until the night, and they come on the land to graze. Okay. Just like a hippo. Okay. They're incredibly aggressive, just like a hippo. Yeah, hippos are extremely aggressive. And they just happen to be in lower numbers. Hmm. So they're not these ma- like big herds like hippos. Like tapirs are one a- one or two animals. Mm-hmm. They're extremely, extremely, extremely hard to study in the wild. Yeah. So what if this is them? They're a population that may be on the brink of extinction or very, very extremely limited numbers. And these Aborigines have been dealing with them for a really, really long time. Right, yeah. And they're like, yeah, they're aquatic. Uh, they even Aborigines had stories of these uh, bunyips being grazers. Hmm. And then coming out on land, they're just really aggressive. People get this idea that mammals aren't aggressive. Or not mammals, herbivores aren't aggressive. No, they're the most aggressive. Oh, uh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather deal with a carnivore. Because you know why? Carnivores are smart and they think about it. Yeah. Herbivores are just like panicky, dumb, violent animals. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Shoot, that just made me think of this video I saw online of this guy, but now I can't remember the animal. Was it an elk? Was it charging the guy and he held up the stick? Oh no! Oh, so it was some. Uh, it was. Oh, gosh, yeah, it was some big, some big like animal or oh, it was a big cat. A big cat was coming up on this guy and he just goes. He held it. He had like a spear in his hand, and he just goes and like holds it up like he was gonna stab it, and the thing just froze and paused. It's like up, oh. and then he he like kind of gave it like a little head fake. And it just kind of hesitated. And then he held the spear up over his head and just started yelling and, and started walking toward it. And the thing just turned around and took off. So there's really a video going around of an Alaskan fisherman that has a gigantic, and I mean gigantic, grizzly bear. So it's charging them from like 150 yards away. Yeah. And he's this little tiny uh, uh, Inuit man. And he just starts running at the bear. Yeah. And the bear, you just see it in his face like, ah! And then turns around and takes <laughs> off. And then it's just like... It's because carnivores are, it's all about the fake out. And then once the prey or Runs. the threat yeah. doesn't fake, doesn't take the fake out, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not doing this. It's where the only reason honey badgers are still alive. Yeah. Cause they're, because they aggressive. just act like it. Yeah. But they also are very aggressive. I mean, they are very aggressive, <laughs> yeah. but a lion would bite through them in a second. Oh, yeah, in a second. Yeah. But you see lions kind of take off. Like, of them. So, what if these, these, these dippos? are these hippos in Australia? And that's what people are having encounters with. So, think about it. They could that could explain the very short fur, yeah. That could explain this tiny round face, this big massive body, and this neck. That's yeah. kind of what they look like. Mm-hmm. It really fits a lot of descriptions, and we think they may have been. Sorry, guys, I hit the mic stand. Uh, they think they may have been aquatic or semi-aquatic, like hippos. What's we don't that? have a. It's it's hard because it's just like we don't have any living relatives of them that are like them. You're right. I mean, it's a niche that needs filled, right? Yeah, so that's the thing. is, it, It's a niche that's open that nobody's occupying. Right, but the bunyip is. So, yeah, it makes it makes sense. I like that idea. I like that because it kind of puts it in a it puts it in a spot. It puts it in that niche. So now I heard, like that idea. You heard me talk about earlier that a lot of people, a lot, some of these tribes talk about the bunyip would hug its prey yeah, to death yeah. with these giant claws basically stabbing into them. Yeah. 
So I have two kind of thoughts for this. I let me do my mammal one. The Porotrosius ozula uh, was a cousin of the dipo that we just talked about. Yeah, but it was more like a giant ground sloth. Oh, still walked on all fours, but had these front arms that had giant long grasping claws. And some people think they may have been aquatic. And there was aquatic ground, giant ground sloths too. Ah, so uh, in South and North America, there was a giant aquatic ground sloths. So they think that this may be the bunyip. Is this more? It's more ground sloth-like creature. These giant claws, this tiny head on this long neck, but massive bodies. Yeah. And then at night they were extremely aggressive, and that's why they hug. They literally take the giant claws and they dive them into their into threats and just squeeze them to death. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just kind of what it would look like from the outside. Yeah. As Nacho Libre would say, give them the old anaconda squeeze. Yeah. Except they're jabbing, you know, half foot long claws into your guts and then ripping you in <laughs> half. A bit. Yeah. That's a bit more aggressive. And they're big. Right. Yeah. I mean, man, that kind of fits that. Yeah. I like this one. And I'm gonna. I'll try to say it again. Polio trust it, Azula. I can say Azula, uh, but it was very similar size to the 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 Dippo. It's actually in the same family group, uh, but marsupials have what's called uh, evolutionary radiation, which okay. means they're very genetically close to related to each other, but have very different body designs, very okay. fast. Okay, uh, so that's typical. What you see of a species that gets into an area that has no competition. Gotcha. So they take every okay. niche available. Yep. And then they slow down over time. So that's why, like, in, as in the, the process of evolution, that's why it slows down when niches start getting filled. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like, species radiation happens, like, right when there's not, nobody's having any of these jobs. Right, yeah. They're, so that's so why these two all. can be very closely related to each other and look very different. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so you like that one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I do. I have another one you may like. All right. Uh, and I don't have any fossil records for this one, but this is one that came across my mind. As far as I know, I'm the only one. So those most those other two were heavily suggested by other people. This next one, I'm suggesting. Okay. So there's some carnivores, like the trilocene is one of the biggest marsupial carnivores. And there were some ancient, like the, uh, oh gosh, now like Thiocolia, which is like the big cat that had this almost beak-like tooth in the front. Okay. But it was a marsupial. Oh, okay. Weird. Uh, yeah, and they had, like, koala hands. Very strange. Well, uh, marsupials are just weird in general. Strange. Yeah, exactly. What if this is an actual solitary aquatic marsupial? Like, a carnivore. Like, yeah. I'm talking trilocene, thiocolia, uh, to where they had this unique body plan. They're living in billabongs. They're hunting people. They're hunting food items. Yeah. Uh, they're wrestling with crocodiles. I mean, we know for sure whatever the bunyip is, is a solitary creature. We yeah. know that for sure. And that could explain some really weird biology that this thing is supposedly having, is it's an ex- and a group of marsupials that's not been found. Right, yeah. And they were kind of like missing the large... So we had the big cats, like the thylacolia. They're not big cats, they're marsupials, but the big cat niche. Mm-hmm. We're kind of missing the otters. Mm, okay. And otters, as everybody here may know or may not know, like giant river otters in the Amazon... Can get massive, and will eat anacondas and crocodilians. Otters are otters are mean. Yeah, and smart. I mean, they look really cute and fun, but they're mean. I that's the last one of the last animals I want running around my ankles aggressively. Like oh, like you just see a head pop up and it's a caiman. You're like oh, thank goodness it's just a caiman. And then you see ten giant river otters that are a foot longer than you, getting ready to eat you. No, and they will. They will. They'll drown you. They'll get in your guts and scoop them all out while you're still alive. Mm. I'm sure. So what do you think about that one? I mean, it fits. It 
it's it's weird, but so is the bunyip, you know? It fits kind of that weird thing. And Australia itself is just so weird in general with just the creatures that are already there that are documented. It just doesn't put this thing out of the realm of possibility of still being hanging around like this type of creature, filling yeah. that niche, because nothing's taking its niche, that's for sure. Mm. Nothing. Mm. That way that we know mm. of. I mean, crocodile's the closest thing. Yeah, I mean... But... I, I mean, think crocodiles sounds, don't mess with hippos. This sounds like a, yeah, exactly. You know, it's just not worth it. No, they'll get stomped to death. I mean, Even if they bite onto it, just right. The hippos hi- are so big. Giant saltwater crocodiles can win against a hippo. Yeah, you know, it's just it's giant. not worth it. Exactly, giant. It's and it's gonna be a battle. But like we talked about last season, Australia has giant. Oh, for sure, saltwater crocodiles for sure. But it, it ain't gonna be easy. And that could be why they're living in these billabongs. Is it's a protecting their offspring or whatever? It's mm. protect. You know, it's yeah. Or it's just its own protection. Like this is my home. Like I'm in now, here. The ab- so that's that's that one. So the Aborigines are very, very, very convinced that whatever the bunyip is, it lays eggs. Okay. What about a giant platypus? Just a strip. No, our platypus. A cousin. Are, are they, whatever the same family? Are they aggressive at all? Or known to be? Oh yeah, and they're platypus venomous. are. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're they're venomous. They're egg layers. They, uh, they're highly territorial. If they got bigger, they'd they'd kill us all. Platypus. It's like a weasel. Like literally, it's just the only thing that's limiting them from murdering everything on the planet is their size. Do they have be- Do they have teeth in their beaks? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Weird. It's they're very different. They're very ancient mammals. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And there's argument. People argue with me that they're true mammals, but they are true mammals. Uh, they're just very very ancient mammals. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if they're laying eggs, something's yeah. off. Uh. So, anyways, these guys, like some of the original uh, bunyip reports, talk about it looking like people calling it a giant platypus. Yeah, people seeing it, calling it a giant platypus. A lot of the original reports talk about having a beak, right? Yeah, and fur, like platypus, having these giant claws they use as defense. Platypus actually, male platypus actually have a giant venomous spur on their feet. They use to fight other males and to fight ad- attackers. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of these things are piecing together this weird hodgepodge of biology that seems to be like, well, if you see the bunyip, if you see its face, you're going to call it a bird. Yeah. If you see its back, you're going to call it a big mammal. Yeah. If you see it swimming, its tail looks like a serenian, mm. like a manatee. So it could be, yeah, it could be platypus-like. Like a cousin. Platypus are already so secretive and so endangered. Yeah, very. That there are so, like, there's only one in the entire U.S., and it just got here last year. In captivity? Yeah. It's nuts. So there's only, and I can't remember what the zoo it is anymore. It's out west. Mm-hmm. The guy that the guy that does Doofenshmirtz on Phineas and Ferb was talking about it. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's, what if this is giant, ancient, rare platypus? The Aborigines literally talk about them laying nests like platypus, laying eggs like platypus. And that's why they're de- like the only reason they're in these billabongs, they're not in their open river, is because they're nesting. That's right. their nesting season. Ah, okay, and that's and why that's they're, they're hyper aggressive. Makes sense. The rest of the time, they're like they're not like a normal platypus. They're solitary. They're out there eating crayfish and mollusk. Mm-hmm. Like the Aborigines are convinced that the bunyip eats. And if they're that big, they could fill that niche of the giant hippo. You know, the hippo, the mega mammal. And I, I think they're just like yeah. So, what do you think about this a giant platypus? Maybe this one has me convinced now. I'm like all over the place on this one because the I, there's I mean, a lot of good ones. There is. All right, you ready for the next one? Yeah. And I'll, at the very end, we'll go through and Mikey give percentages. Oh gosh, okay. Uh, giant starfish. It literally. I hit the mic again. Sorry, guys. Giant starfish. This is literally a giant freshwater starfish that's eating things. No. 
Sorry, no. I think that'd be neat. Now, I don't know where this kind of legend comes from. Like I said, I couldn't really research the Aborigine side of it besides they say an X tribe says it's a giant starfish. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the extent of my knowledge. Right, yeah. And it was a big purple starfish. I'm just going to lean. I'm going to lean towards the no on this yeah. one. What about it being some kind of giant aquatic bird? So we talked about the devil duck of doom is literally the name of it in Australia. It's a type <laughs> of terror bird. Uh, but the cassowaries are monstrous birds. Right, we know for and sure. We think that the, why they ended up so demonic almost is that the mammals they evolved with. The Australia was such a scary continent. You think they it's scary had to now. Be. Yeah. That they had like they were around with some of the biggest, scariest, weird carnivores on the planet. So they evolved to be super aggressive. So they, they evolved basically to be not worth it. Right, yeah. Just like we talked about the honey badger. Right, exactly. So this bigger cousin, we don't know a lot about the the the, the devil duck of doom, which is like a ten foot tall terror bird. Mm-hmm. Big giant bill. Some like it could have been aquatic. It could be more like a cormorant, where they're swimming a lot of times. See, they're I, digging mounds in the side yeah. of these hills to lay eggs. I feel I'm gonna say no on this one, only for the only reason: the bunyip, you know, especially during the day, is usually in the bill, you know, under the water, and almost every bird I can think of that even swims is always un- even underwater. They always float. They always come up no, and float. So there's like penguins, there's puffins, there's cormorants that don't float. That's very, well, yeah, but that's Those very, are aquatic birds. Right, they are. It's You're true. You're thinking of, like, water birds are different than aquatic birds. Hmm. Okay. Penguins don't float? No. So they sink like a stone if you drop them in? Not like a stone. They're, like, neutrally buoyant. Oh, okay. So if they they swim down, they're going to stay down. If they swim up, they're going to go up. Hmm. So a lot of these birds are, like, neutrally buoyant. Gotcha. I still don't like it. I don't like it. I don't have to. Mm. In my head. What about a last living dinosaur? Now here, so Australia. This last later in the season, we're going to tear in living dinosaurs from around the world. Okay. Australia has a lot of them. Oh, I'm sure they do. The outback, like everything from like giant theropods to sauropods to hadrosaurs. And then that they have that big uh, national forest or whatever. That's oh the rainforest, the biggest rain... un, uncharted rainforest on the planet is in Australia. Yeah, exactly. But the outback is also just massively, just ma- yeah, it's huge, uncharted. Yeah. Like people don't realize that there's just like I was watching. There's this opal show in where they go out and pick opal out of the the exposed rock in the outback, and like they're only going like two hours out and they're about dying. Yeah. Every time they go out there. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like they can drive another fifteen hours. Oh yeah, and still. That's why it takes forever to get anywhere in Australia. You got to go like around like, everything. Yeah, you can't drive through. So, what if this is a dinosaur? This is some kind of aquatic. Uh, so like Therizinosaurus was an aquatic herbivore with a beak. It was extremely aggressive. Had all these long talons, that and the feathers and the mix of mammalian, reptilian, and uh, avian traits. It's my favorite bird to catch on arc or dinosaur to catch on arc. Yeah, sorry, there's dinosaurs. Kinda. I mean, birds Cl- are dinosaurs. Pretty dang close. Yeah. Like uh, we covered this, like the stink bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what if this is something like that? It's an actual one of these remnant dinosaurs. Oh, could be. I mean, it's Australia. See, I don't think so. I just don't think dinosaurs, like, as in. True dinosaurs. True dinosaurs aren't around anymore. Yeah. The stink bird's, I think, the closest thing we have to a dinosaur. Hmm. And there's biologists arguing whether it is a true dinosaur. Oh, gotcha. It may be a true dinosaur. It may not be. You know, it may just be a bird. Right, yeah, exactly. It's so odd. Right. All right. I played with you long enough. Yeah. You ready for the real ones? I'm ready. Oh, well, you better wait. 
So I'm going to kind of combine my last two. Okay. Because they're kind of the same, but they're different. So earlier reports at the Bunyip talk about these giant kind of tusks. Okay. Talk about like some of the, the small headed ones always kind of have these big teeth or tusks that point out of their mouth. Okay. Others talk about this giant fleshy thing on their face. Like some people talk, describe it as like a pelican flap. Others describe oh, yeah. it as like this big protuberance. Okay. Yeah. I think that 99% of Bunyip accounts, reports, encounters, especially the olden days, were either walruses or elephant seals. Okay. So seals, pinnipeds. Like literally. Yeah. So we're going to get into this. I'm, this is not, there's literally, uh, there's people written books about it being pinnipeds. Uh, so elephant seals. Let's talk about elephant seals first. How big are they? Massive. Oh. Elephant seals are the biggest pinniped on the planet. Okay. Uh, I believe they can reach 22 feet in length and right at 4,000 pounds. That's pretty big. <laughs> uh, they get about the same size as a great white shark, a big great white shark. That's pretty big. But on average, let's say they're 15 feet, 15 to 16 feet. Yeah. They're one of the only pinnipeds on the planet, including walruses, that great white sharks just really don't tackle. Leave alone, yeah. Because it's too big. Yeah. Uh, orcas even really don't mess with adult male elephant seals. Okay. So we're Or talk- you mean fully grown calf elephant seals? Yeah. So that skull, I'm glad you brought that up. The, f- the fetal oh, yeah. calf full skull actually looks like an elephant seal skull. Hmm. This weird thing that they're describing, this nose piece that they think it's why it's a, a deformed, yeah, looks like where the trunk-like organ for the nose attaches to the the, the skull. That makes sense, yeah. It literally looks like it, it's, in my opinion, it's an elephant seal skull hmm. is what they were showing. These big, uh, what they say, they said manatee or hippo-like bones yeah. in the middle of Australia. Yeah. But it, it were... Elephant seal like. Would I was gonna say, would it be an actual elephant seal or like a cousin or like a close relative? An actual elephant seal. Okay. Like the ones we had no today. Yes. Okay. So elephant seals have a funny thing about them. As there's both uh Antarctic and Arctic elephant seals. Uh they they're circumnavigating species. They'll travel, you know, they're they're everywhere on the planet. Walruses are a little not as common, but we'll yeah. talk about them in a minute. Uh elephant seals have this funny habit. Of ending up where they shouldn't. Okay. In the 1800s, there's a report of one in the White River in Arkansas. Okay. And everybody's like, that's a giant seal. Yeah. And it's laying on the bank. Everybody's seen it. Like, boat captains, cargo ships, like, hundreds of people have seen it. And that would have had to follow the uh, ship into the Panama Canal, swim up the Gulf of Mexico, and up the Mississippi River. Right, exactly, yeah. But it probably did it. <laughs> uh, I will try to remember to post this when this comes out. But I have a video of in the Chilean River of this gigantic pinniped they're calling a dinosaur okay. swimming around in this river. It is a hundred percent an elephant seal. Really? And they're in a tiny, I mean like a tiny Chilean river up in the mountains. Yeah. And it's just big elephant seals like swimming circles around in there. Like it just elephant seals are famous for ending up hundreds and thousands of miles inland to end up places they shouldn't be. Where are they supposed to be? They're coastal animals. Gotcha. So they have like our Antarctic and Arctic habitats on both ends of the globe. They're cold yeah. water, but they, they swim in the open ocean, stuff like that. Uh, they do visit Australia. They're not uncommon on the coast. Okay. What they do do in Australia, uh, there was a 19, in 1990, like, I believe it was five. Uh, one swam like seven, 800 miles up a river in Australia, got into this town. People don't realize how big elephant seals are. Yeah. They are elephant 
seals. They're big. They're massive. Uh, it gets into this little tiny town, like Kaluga, like a town of 200, 1995. It gets out and starts attacking cars. And you remember what I said about the the uh, bunyip hugging? It's prayed to death. Yeah. So elephant seals, when they're fighting, they rear up, they stand up real tall. Yeah. And then they kind of slap their bodies together. So it literally looks like when this uh, this uh, elephant seals attacking cars, it looks like it's hugging them to death. Mm, okay. So it's just hugging, and it fell in love with a cow, a oh. cow cow. Oh no. So it's like fighting farmers. It's fighting the other cows. It's out in this field, like running around chasing. And these are almost always uh, early adult, juvenile, uh, old juvenile, early adult male elephant seals that aren't big enough to claim their own territory in the breeding areas yet. Yeah. But they're still sexually frustrated. So okay. So, so they wanted, they want to do the whole process. Elephant seals do a lot of show. They do a lot. They get so testosterone when they're in this. So remember back, this feathers or hanging skin. Yeah. Elephant seals shed the outer layer of their skin, and it looks like these big flash flaps hanging off. Mm, okay. So that could be this whole feathery, feathery thing, yeah. skin flap look. Yeah. They can stretch out and show how long and tall they are. That gives them an appearance of a very small bulldog-like head and this yeah. big, long neck. Or they're short and heavy like other abnormally descript, you know, when they're, they're tucked in. They're extremely aggressive during this time. Okay. And they will murder everything. They have tusk. Yeah. They, they have do. both... Downward and upwards touch. You just only seen the down, the upwards facing ones because they're big nose. Uh, they're extremely aggressive. So what I think is happening is over the last you know couple uh, millennia, is every once in a while, uh, these inner you know these tribes of Aborigines don't get to experience elephant seals very often if they're not on the coast, and even then they're kind of rare. Yeah. So you get this one that goes in a couple hundred miles inland, takes up a billowong for a breeding season, and they sound horrendous. They're loud, guttural screams. Mm. I think that's what's happening. Walruses have been appearing in South America, too. South America or Australia? South America. Okay. Uh, but we think that's for different reasons. Uh, walruses are very much more distinct look, but they do have the big tusk that face down, like some of the depictions of these. Uh, it'd be rarer for... It would be otter for a walrus, but not... like oh, Walruses are ending but not up in... But not impossible. Yeah. Wal walruses do the kind of similar thing. They end up in really weird places. Okay. Just not to the extent elephant seals do. Yeah, they Elephant seals are famous for ending up in... Including in Australia. Yeah. Literally uh, going up hundreds of, hundreds of miles upriver and just fighting cars. Right. Oh, okay. Like, literally, that one was, like, destroyed... Four, I think it was a Ford Taurus in that video. You see it rear up and just... The Ford Taurus disappears. Ford Taurus never stood a chance. No. I mean, you're talking like a massive animal. So I think what's happening is that these people are experiencing elephant seals. Hmm. And these these juvenile males that are sexually frustrated, they're 15 feet long, they're not big enough to claim a beach, but they go inland, they pick a territory, and they just kill everything else around them. So this think it, a 15-foot walrus is, or a 15-foot elephant seal is not going to mess with anything on mainland Australia. No, not at all. A big, big saltwater crocodile may bite them i don't think he's winning they're pretty bad because they rip each other apart during the breeding season oh really like they that outer layer of skin that's kind of hanging off yeah. is on purpose so when a, a rival grabs and rips a chunk of skin off it's no big not right. that big of a deal yeah and they still it still bleeds well yeah but nothing vital yeah and i've seen elephant seals have like bite marks from great whites and orcas in them and they're Ooh. still fighting oh. like literally got this big chunk but you don't see it's just still the blubber right it's not your organs or nothing yeah yeah so I think that's what they're experiencing, at least some of it. I think it'd be possible. You can't rule it out. All right. So do you have anything? 
I mean, with all the descriptions and stuff, I believe that the bunyip is real, 100%. It's a real flesh and blood creature. Um, there now there may be some elemental, like spiritual, like you know, different dimensional being to it as well. Only because it's involves water and involves a water creature, and those just things always seem to go hand in hand. Um, I'm, I think that could play a role in it. Mm-hmm. But I like the giant platypus, like ancient, different platypus type, like cousin thing, and the elephant seal, like those, and the ground sloth thing. Now, who's to say with all the different descriptions and stuff, one of those things might not be right in one of those situations? One of these things, you not know, like the it, other. Yeah, no, not like that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, like that could be a possibility. Like, so one of those things are existing, but overall. I kind of like the elephant seal thing, yeah. I'm going, I think it's, I think 99% of it's elephant seals. I think everything from the giant sea star to the, I think almost all the bunyip has always been elephant seals. Even the one they try to hunt in the town. Yeah. How it was described. Yeah. It's very elephant seal tying. The bones, they keep finding of them. Yeah. I think all the bones have been elephant seal bones. Hmm. And because they just get in and they get to a spot they're not supposed to be and they just die. Yeah. Because they're a giant marine mammal. Yeah. And they get to this little billabong that the river dries up before they leave. Right, exactly. There are rivers in Australia that can run dry. And so they get into these like hundreds of miles inland and then it dries up and they cannot crawl back to water. Through they, the desert. Know, they can only go a couple hundred feet. Yeah. So that would I think, suck. And then they just die, you yep. know. So you have these big pile of bones with these weird skulls that nobody inland has ever seen because it's an Arctic seal. Yeah, it's not meant to be there anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening. Personally, I do think there is Australia's full of awesome cryptids. Yeah. And there are cryptids that are undiscovered by science. There are these weird biological things that are remnants. Uh it's had amazing flora and fauna forever. I just think personally almost all these bunyip accounts, especially the white settler bunyip accounts, are elephant seals. Yeah. From the bones, from the sightings, uh, from them trying to dynamite it. Why it's only coming out at night is because they get sunburnt and stuff like that. Mm, that makes sense. Uh, so they're literally laying in the bottom. And they're just raising their nose up to breathe, laying down, raising their nose up to breathe, laying down. Imagine being fish, imagine fishing in a fishing hole and you see elephant, seals elephant come, you know, nose come up. They can hold their breath for almost an hour. Well, we've recorded them an hour and 45 minutes. That's pretty long. So that's, I mean, that's them just holding their breath to die. Right, yeah, exactly. uh, They eat a lot of crayfish and mollusk. They're almost, uh, they're like, they love bivalves. Hmm. So a lot of the bunyip stories talk about all these big piles of mussel shells. Shells. And that's what they do. Like, literally, they're whole, them and walruses are designed, their mouths are, like, designed to suck out the bivalves. Mm, yummy. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. No, it sounds good. But they're highly aggressive, especially during this time. Like, they turn. Like, like animal right, yeah. or anything like when that. When they're ready to breed. Oh, yeah. And then, or if they're even watching, like, an uh, offspring or something, you know, they're going to be highly, highly aggressive. That's the female's job, which is a lot smaller. Oh, gotcha. But if, let's say, they are bringing a small harem inland, like, like some of these reports talk about these big 15-footers swimming yeah. with these five-footers. Yeah. The five, like, elephant seal females are tiny. Com- okay. Like, so normal the, seal. They the, look the, like a normal seal. So, in these billabongs, this is where the big boys play. Well, no, they're not big boys. The big boys stick to their traditional breeding grounds because oh, they, sure. they can hold the real estate. <laughs> well, so that's like that's, in this niche. So, the, like bunyips are fifteen feet long, which sounds massive, but I just like 
actual elephant, like big elephant seals are a lot bigger than that. Yeah. So what, these are the ones that are getting pushed off. Was it an elephant seal when they took the skin of one and they sent it back to that museum and the guy reconstructed it? That was he, a walrus. Oh, it's just a walrus. Okay. Which they have a lot, like both. More floppier yeah, skin, but yeah. still. Oh, and it's okay. like eight, ton, it's like, it would be like eight tons. Yeah. And uh, its neck was like 30 feet four, long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they can stretch their neck. They can look up out of the water hmm. and then they can like pull themselves back in. Back in, yeah. I'm going elephant seal with a slight sprinkling of walrus. I like the elephant seal. I like the giant platypus and the now sprinkled with I a little want it to be, metaphysical. I want it to be a giant platypus. That'd be neat. With the bill and everything. I want it. Yeah, we'll put it in a tank. We'll we'll put an enclosure out back. I want it. Put it by the quail. I have been season four, the great and powerful mystery. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know there's a lot of reading towards the, the, the hunts from old white people. And I hate reading old white people's writing. Yeah. But that's just what it is. You know, we just report what was written, you know, the facts. Yep. Uh, so, I, like I said, I've already been the great and powerful season four mystery. And I've been the infamous Jay. And if you have any aboriginal stories, folklore, anything at all involving the bunyip, please send it to our email, cryptsofthecornpodcast at gmail.com, or to our, uh, what's that thing called again where you can voicemail in? Uh, speaker pipe. It's, there's a link down below. Speaker pipe. Click the link. If you got any stories, if you just want to share any of that. It's like a call-in. It's like a voicemail service. Yeah, yeah. so we can hear your voice. And sometimes people, I don't like writing. It's easier for me to do that. 100%, so. yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, let us know. All right. Bye. Bye. Turn your thing up. The dial. The dial. It's okay podcast please share with a friend you think would like us it's the best way to help our show grow leave a comment rate us a five-star review and remember there's always extra content on patreon slash and don't forget stay magical I have been the great and powerful season four mystery. And I've been the infamous Jay. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review. And remember, there's always extra content on Patreon slash Crips of the Corn.com. And don't forget, stay magical. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.